And if you have a copy of God's Word, would you open to Nehemiah as we continue on in our series of what's next. Nehemiah is starting to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. For those that have not been here, Nehemiah was minding his own business. He was living 800 miles away from uh, Jerusalem in the capital of Assyria. He was serving under the, the king, King Artaxerxes. He was doing what he felt at the time God called him to. He was living a pretty posh lifestyle, and the news came that the walls of Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. They had been destroyed by his boss, and he had the boldness. Everybody say boldness. He had the boldness to go to his boss and say, I know that you kind of destroyed this deal. Can you send me with your blessing to rebuild them? And based on his months and months and months of prayer and fasting and mourning and weeping over his own sin, the sins of his people, that God had favor on his life and sent him back to Jerusalem. And here we have the beginnings of the walls starting to be rebuilt, Nehemiah chapter 3. And I don't know about you, but a big question on my mind is, who exactly is going to do all this work, right? Because Nehemiah was Nehemiah a professional uh, uh, construction guy? Did he have any experience in that area? Uh, he was the cupbearer, which means he taste-tested food and drink for the king, and if he died, then the king lived. And uh, it wasn't his natural calling. It wasn't his vocational calling. But when God has a call on your life, it doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where God's going to take you in the next season. So we want to take a look at, at this topic. What is next? What's next for you? What's next for us as a church? How are we going to move forward? Here's a big word for us to, to take away. Ownership. Ownership. Turn to your neighbor and say ownership. I don't know. It takes extreme ownership to, to own the mission, to own it as if it's it's yours, but somebody's got to lead the way. Nehemiah was the leader, but Nehemiah wasn't the doer of all of the work that needed to be done. And today we're going to be looking at this. Ownership moves me. It moves me on mission. And I know for some of us, we, we just want it straight up. Just give me the bottom line, okay? If I take a nap for the next 40 minutes, what am I going to miss? Here's the bottom line, right? To accomplish God's mission, we need faith-filled leaders. We need selfless servants both of which are united by his vision, okay? If you, if you don't catch anything else the rest of our time, we know this, to accomplish God's mission, God's mission, right? And, and if you are one of God's children, you are on his mission, it's gonna take faith-filled leaders. It's gonna take selfless servants working in unison, being united by his spirit to accomplish his vision. Do you believe that God has a vision? Do you believe that God has purposes? Do you believe that they're bigger than anything we could dream up or come up with? I, I hope you believe. If you, if you don't, stick around for a while because we believe that we, we get to watch God do what only he can do and he works through his church and he does things that are unexplainable, supernatural, not, not done by any individual because none of us are smart enough. None of us are strong enough. None of us have the ability, the capacity, the know-how to be able to do what God wants to do when God's people unite. Nehemiah chapter three, big things can happen when we work together. Let's, let's see it. We're, we're gonna see some crazy names and some unique gates around this, this city. But verse one, chapter three, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it. 
They set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Verse 3, the sons of Hassanah, what happened there? They built the fish gate. They laid its beams, set its doors, its bolts, its bars. Verse 4, next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel. There we go. Say that ten times fast. Repaired. And next to them, Zadok, son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their, oh, 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 their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Everybody say, uh-oh. Yeah, we got a problem. We got a problem. If you're taking notes, write this down. I will recognize no task is beneath me. I will recognize no task is beneath me. If I, if I want to see God's mission accomplished, if I am to be a faithful leader, a selfless servant, if I'm to be united with God's people and fulfill this kind of mission, I got to recognize that no task is beneath me. One word that we see there repeated, whenever something in the Bible is repeated, hopefully you kind of take note of why is that such an emphasis? Why is that there? There's this big word, big fancy word, consecrated, consecrated. This idea of this thing that I'm about to do or this calling in this job, I am surrendering to the Lord. I am seeking God's approval on this. I'm fully surrendered to whatever God wants to do in me, through me, and to accomplish. I'm consecrated for this work. I am set apart, fully engaged, fully focused, all in, consecrated. That's what God is calling his people to do. And, and I just wonder for, for some of us, is, is there anything that someone could request of you that you feel like is below you? Can't you find somebody else to do that? I don't know if you realize, but I'm kind of a big deal around here, and uh, the, I'm sure there's somebody that is interested in doing those lowly tasks, and I just love that, that I get to be part of the leadership here at a church where I watch those that, that have their area of ministry, and they see opportunities, and instead of looking at it as if, well, that task is is beneath me, that people are willing to, to do the lowliest of jobs. Over the past few years, watching people that have served in a certain ministry and yet have jumped in and helped out other ministries, not because they're part of the team, not because they have to be there, but because they want to serve, because there's no task that is beneath us. I just jotted down, nope, nobody's too busy or too good to serve. You believe that? That, that God's servants, God's people, they're not, we're not too busy or too important we're not too good to serve anywhere. And when I first became a believer, one, one quote that I heard consistently, and it, and it changed my life. Here's the quote that has stuck with me. The true test of a servant is when they're treated like one. The true test of, of a servant, maybe for you, how do you respond when someone treats you like a servant? If you know that your identity is one of a servant, when someone requests of you, and even if they do it with a little snooty attitude, when they do it uh, uh, kind of feeling like they, they deserve it, like they're entitled to you bending over backwards, sacrificing, rearranging your schedule, doing the lowliest of jobs, how do you respond when you're treated like a servant? For those of us that are growing in our understanding of what it means to be a Christian, we're growing in our understanding that this is what Jesus did. And this is how Jesus responded, that when he was demanded of and when he was treated 
as lowly the king of all kings served. And he did it with a, a heart of meekness and humility. Is that, is that you? For, for some of us, we, we got a, a little ways to grow in thinking about who we really are, not what we think we really deserve. I, I, I don't know if you caught this, but just looking at, at the text, it was their nobles. It was those that had worked their way up, those that were uh, maybe more trained and skilled. It was those that had higher positions of authority that they could use their authority, they could use their power in a way that modeled servanthood and instead unwilling to bow, to bend, to stoop low, to serve their Lord. Colossians 3, if you want to jot this down, here's an address to look up later. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily, work heartily as for the as for the Lord, not, not for men, not for people, not like that. Everybody say, not like that. We don't serve so that people see us, that people would acknowledge and praise us. Not like that. We serve heartily, wholeheartedly for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're going to get a reward. And here's how it ends. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving King Jesus. That is who you serve. I don't assume that you're a Christian, but if you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, and for us to be able to walk away today and say, I serve the king. I'm not serving so that I can be liked, be respected by others. I'm not serving so that I can get something out of it. I'm serving the king. How many times has King Jesus overlooked your service? How many times has he missed something that you sacrificed for? How, how many times has he not documented every single thing that you've done in private to give and give and give. How many times has he missed it? And he never will. He sees your service. He sees your sacrifice. Your reward is coming, but it's not, it's not now. But there were some that it was below them. It was beneath them. And, it, and I, don't know, I don't know where you're at right now, but in order for me to build in God's kingdom, to build others up, to be able to get behind and get underneath the work and be able to to do the real work, the people work and the labor work of the king. I need people investing in me. I need people that are a little bit ahead of me to pour in. I need people that have experienced things and seen things to be able to come alongside. And I'm just, I'm so blown away thinking about the nobles. They're described as the leaders that should be helping and encouraging and modeling and it was those that the people looked up to that were doing the, the least of the work. They weren't, they weren't building up. I wrote this down. I need, to, I need to get built up to build up. I need to be built up. Do you need that? You need somebody pouring into you, leading the way, showing you how? I, I need that. And I'm here today by God's grace because over the years, I've been able to look up to people that were leaders that they went out of their way to serve and sacrifice, that I could follow follow their example. Do you have anybody like that that's around you? Of, is that what it looks like? Is that what it looks like to serve, to sacrifice, to, to do it cheerfully, joyfully, to not complain? Do you have people like that? I don't think it takes much for us to look around our church and to be able to identify a few people that you can look to and say, that's what selfless servanthood looks like. That's what it looks like to give and give and not complain 
but instead to keep going no matter what anybody else is doing. Verse 6, if you continue with me. Joyada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodea, repaired the gate of Yeshana. Can we take a break? I need a snack. Oh. Whew. All right, let's keep going. They laid its beams and set its doors and its bolts and its bars, and next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranathite, Whew. the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Verse 8. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths, they repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. Big deal when you're the ruler of half of the district. What was he doing? Repairing, repairing, doing the work. Verse 10, next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramuth, repaired opposite his house next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabana. Ooh, I'm not even going back to that one. Verse 11, Melchiah, the son of Haram, and Meshub, the son of Pahath, Moab, repaired another section of the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, the ruler of the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Woo! Come on. I mean, not just like, were, were any ladies involved in, in fairness? Yes, uh, even the youngest. This was a family deal. This is family serving together. This is family sacrificing. This isn't just, here's the iPad, get out of my hair. Here's an app, just don't talk, don't be heard. This is family, we're doing this together. We're giving together, we're sacrificing together. This is pretty awesome, write this down. Number two, I believe my greatest ability is availability. I believe my greatest ability is availability. I mean, think about this. Just people showing up not because they were professionals. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not a professional. Just, I mean, in case, in case they needed some humility this morning, you ain't a pro, yo. You ain't a pro. Much of ministry is stuff that, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Anybody feeling that? I know for some of us, getting thrown in the deep end. We're in a season of I'm stepping up by faith. I'm stepping up by faith. I don't know what I'm doing. How, how am I supposed to do this? Am I doing it wrong? For each one of us, we need to hear this. There are no professionals in the church. There are no professionals in the kingdom. There are those that are selfless servants saying, send me, send me. I'll do it. I'll go. I'm looking forward to the day. And I know the day is not yet, but I'm looking forward to the day when all of the kingdom of God in, in its perfection, right, in the end, that no more will the phrase, well, that's for sure not for me. That's not for me. That's just not my thing. That's just, that, that, that's, that's, it's not my area. That, that's above my pay grade. There's going to be a day when we no longer are going to be able to say that, right? Heaven's going to be glorious because we're going to be in our perfect place, in perfect state, no more being stretched and overwhelmed and being confronted with opportunities that, that we turn down. And again, this is not a, this isn't guilt Sunday, okay? So I'm not guilting anybody. Let's clarify, it's not guilt Sunday. But for some of us, this may be the season where we say, it's not convenient. I don't have time. It's not my area of expertise. I don't have experience. And then your last comment is, but I'll do it. But I'll do it. Where do I sign up? When do I start? Where's the greatest need? Where's the greatest need? Where's the greatest need? You know what? The greatest need all around Jerusalem was areas of skill that the people did not possess, and yet they showed up, they were available. 
So if it's any encouragement, a bunch of amateurs, hey, that kind of describes me. Yeah, I qualify. A bunch of amateurs gathering around saying, all right, put me somewhere. Stick me in, coach. I'm ready. I'm ready. Don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to fumble. It's okay. It's okay. They were not trained, but I love, I love this. They, they fortified the walls of Jerusalem. They built them up. Nobody saw them as qualified. Nobody on the outside, nobody on the inside was impressed at all with anything except for this, watching God work through average people. God doesn't call the qualified. We know that, right? He qualifies the called. He qualifies the available, those that show up. Are you available for God? And just a simple, simple question, right? Are you available to say, God, I'll do, I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever. Some of us are in a season where we have never been busier. We've never been more overwhelmed. And maybe this is a season that God's saying, stop waiting until it's convenient. Stop waiting until things slow down. Stop waiting. And, and if you want to, we can just, everyone that is retired in our church can line up in the lobby. And as we walk by, we can say, so you have tons of free time now, right? Because you're retired. And watch them share stories of, I've never been more busy now than I've ever been in my life. It does not slow down, so we do not wait. We're available now before it's too late because we don't have, we don't have a lot of time. So I don't know where you're at, but God is calling those that would step up and be available to do what? To accomplish God's mission, selfless servants, faith-filled leaders, uniting to accomplish God's mission. That, that's what we do. That's what we do. Verse 13. Oh, pray for me. All right, here we go. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zanoa repaired the valley gate, and they rebuilt it, and they set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchiah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it, set its doors, its bolts, its bars, and Shalom, the son of Kolhaze, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate, rebuilt it, covered it, set its doors, its bolts, its bars, built the wall of the pool of Shalah in the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. What city is that? Come on, come on, city of David, right? Bethlehem, right? Christmas, Bethlehem, just a suburb there. Verse 16, after him, Nehemiah, the son of Asbuk, the ruler of the half district of Bethzur, repaired to a point of opposite of the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, as far as the house of the mighty men. And after him, the Levites repaired Raham, the son of Benai. Next to him, Hashabiah, the ruler of the half district of Kalah, repaired from Israel. Can, can I just stop there? All right. I just need to take a breather. Okay. All right. Do we, do we get the idea? Like we have entire families, we have heads of homes, we have people gathering around, stepping in front of an area of need and collectively united all the way around the city, we have a complete circle of sacrificial, selfless servants led by faith-filled leaders all the way around, uniting. This is unbelievable. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number three, I don't know who needs to hear this, but if I'm going to be accomplishing God's mission, if I'm going to live on mission, I will, I will stop making excuses. I will stop making excuses. Never before have we lived in a culture where it's been easier to make 
excuses. I mean, all you have to do is say, COVID-19, I can't do it, COVID. I mean, like, sorry, sorry, I wish I could, but COVID. Hey, no problem, no problem. But here we have the Tekoits, they repaired, they repaired another section. Jump back into verse 27. These Tekoit characters, man, they had their job, they did their job, and it says they repaired another, somebody say another, another, another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of a fell. Another. They repaired another, another section. And it was near the water gate where they originally were at. They had a remarkable attitude, so unique compared to anybody else. No, nowhere else in Nehemiah's unfolding of the story does it say that group did their job and then looked for where there was another need. Like, job done, what's next? Man, we should title the series, like, what's next? That would be a good title, right? Like, what's next? Well, I thought you were working on that. I know I finished it. Right? I did the work that I was asked to do. What's next? What's next? But every church needs servant leaders that live their life with an attitude of, what else do you need? What else do you need? Okay, I got that done, or I got stuck. Help me get unstuck so I can keep going and finish it. What else do you need? What's next? What's next for me? What else do I need to do? Is there another thing for me to do? And I know for some of us, let's just be realistic. Let's start on the first thing. Let's get working on one thing. But how awesome is it when you stop thinking about servanthood or service as just like a one-time project? You start thinking, this is a lifestyle because I follow King Jesus. And he lived a lifestyle of everywhere he went, he, he served. And he didn't just say, all right, I'm done. I'm done. There's more to do. There's more work to do. What else needs to get done? I love that we have an example here. They didn't make any excuses. They didn't say, well, the stinking nobles, if the nobles weren't so lazy, if they weren't so arrogant that they weren't going to stoop, I mean, like, why don't you get them, Nehemiah, get them moving over here. Why don't, why don't they at least do one thing? Instead, they recognize those that are supposed to be leading the way are failing us. Not going to stop me. Those that are leading the way are lazy bums, and I'm not going to allow that to be a point of excuse-making. I'm going to keep going. And I, I, want us, I want us to think about this. It's not about equal giving. It's not about equal amount of money given. It's not about equal amount of time. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. Do we believe that? That not all of us can give the same amount of time. Not all of us are gifted in the same ways with different ministries. For some of us, we serve for a season, and then we say, what's next? For some of us, I don't, I don't know if you grew up with like the professional Sunday school lady, but most churches have, at least in, in our generations past, like she served for 58 years, faithful, doing her thing, right? And it, and it wasn't that she was able to necessarily give tons of money or serve in a lot of other areas, but sacrifice the same. For some of us, we're at the place of just starting, what does it mean to start sacrificing at all? And even if that's a season of, I'm willing to try that, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to do that for a time. We have needs right now that even if you jumped in on Sunday night with our high schoolers and our young adults, if you just jumped in on Wednesday and said, hey, is there a need to be able to teach our kids? Guess what? Once a month, to be able to sign up and say, I'm willing to be part of a team and rotate to be able to serve. I'm willing to jump in 
our, our fifth and sixth graders are exploding. If everybody's there, there's almost 30 fifth and sixth graders. Do you think we need help? Yes. So a good question is, where can I help? Where can I start sacrificing? That's really going to stretch me, but I'm willing to learn. That is going to probably overwhelm me, and I need to probably get a script after I'm done a few weeks, and that's okay. My doctor says that as long as I have Zantac, I will be okay serving with fifth and sixth graders, but I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to do it, and for some of you, I know that this has been a year of stepping in, pressing in, and it's hard, and it's hard, but I love our hearts that we're able to say, well, what's next? What else? Where, where's the need? And I'm willing to do whatever, to do whatever it takes. Because to accomplish God's mission, we need faith-filled, faith-filled leaders, selfless servants, united by his vision. Verse 28, you there? Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. You see that? Opposite his own house. We, we have a phrase that we're going to be seeing over and over again. Verse 29, after them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Sekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, uh, and Hanun, the sixth son, that's very specific, of Zalaf, uh, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchiah, one of the goldsmiths, what did he do? He repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate to the upper chamber of the corner and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. I, I don't know if you're catching, catching some of this, but you're talking about goldsmiths not necessarily working with gold. You have priests jumping in, and they're not necessarily doing priestly work. You have, you have perfumers, right? I don't, I don't know what's up with that. You, you got some old school sweet smelling makers saying, uh, I'll learn to weld some bars. I guess, right? Set perfume down. We have a list of a number of people that are way outside their comfort zone, but here's what I want us to, to think about. There is an emphasis that they built and repaired their house first, and across from their house, they started the work, okay? Homes are built because they gotta live somewhere while they're doing the work, but the emphasis is as a family they're serving, they're coming from their house, stepping out, doing the work, going back home. Here's our last point. I will prioritize the private over the public. Their own house. Their own house. God's people focus on their own house first. And I don't know if you can say this, but I hope each one of us can say, I'm not perfect, but I'm making progress. I'm not perfect but I'm making progress. I'm taking steps to not just assess what kind of public, where it's seen kind of ministry, but whether that's as a mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, whatever it is, that you are seeing your immediate family as your first ministry and you are willing to prioritize family first. Family first, not family only. And it hasn't been all that long that I've sat down and had debates with families of all my ministry is at home. Family first, not family only. There's work of the kingdom that needs to be done, but the kingdom work starts when you wake up at home. Before we step foot in ministry, before we jump in, 
And I love that we can be a church where we can be honest about, I need help at home. I need help at home. I need to get things in order at home. This is a priority. Could you help me? And I love that we can be a church where we can help each other to get our homes in order. Anybody got that figured out yet? Anybody perfect that task of getting your your house in order? When you do, let me know, okay? I will set up a counseling appointment that I can get some help from you. Because not perfection, but progress. Are you making progress at home that allows you a platform to be able to enter in and serve and sacrifice in greater ways in God's kingdom from their own home, their own home first. God was doing a new thing in the life of his people and it started at home and at work, working with families. And I know many of us, including myself, coming from a very dysfunctional upbringing, I, th- I think going back to the point of no excuses, I think all of us could line up and say, I got a lot of reasons why I'm not killing it at home. It's not super awesome, not doing a stellar job. The issue is we all have a story and we all have a past. The question is, are we moving forward by God's grace? Are we moving forward with the help of others? Are we searching the scriptures to see what does home life look like? For my first years, I was a pastor. I was a pastor, okay? Let's let's be mindful of this. My first years in ministry, I'm a pastor still like, doing cheat sheets of, okay, where in the Bible, like, what am I supposed to do with this whole marriage thing? And then having kids, I'm supposed to preach, I'm supposed to teach on this. I have no idea what I'm doing. All I know is dysfunction, but I'm making progress and I'm not satisfied with where I'm at and I'm screwing it up every day and it's not enough to screw it up. I I need to be honest about that's a fail and I'm gonna learn from it. And I'm not going to keep doing it. And I'm not going to repeat what I have seen and what I've observed and what I have received. I don't know who needs to hear this, but for many of us, God is calling us to, to be Abrahams of step out of your pagan past. God, where am I supposed to go? I'll tell you, but go. What is this supposed to look like? How am I supposed to raise a family? Father of nations How am I supposed to do that when I don't have any good examples? Just keep trusting me, God says. Keep going. For some of us, we have have sin patterns and sin curses in our home. We can take some assessment and just look back at all of our extended family and look at addiction, 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 abuse, 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 anger, 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 alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, pornography generation after generation, and I hope today you can say, God's calling me to break the chains. He's calling me to break the cycle. He's calling me to be the first. And I spent many of my years having shouting matches with God about this is unfair because others that grew up in homes where they had the model, they had it instilled from a young age, it's so stinking easy for them. And every day, it's a battle, and I don't know how to do this, and it's so hard, and I keep failing. And God continuing to press in, you're breaking the cycle. You're breaking the chains. You're an overcomer by the power of the Spirit. It's going to be different for generations. Hard for you, yes, but it's going to be different. 
generation after generation, from this point forward, things are going to be different around here. And maybe for some of us, we're like, I don't want to be the first. I don't want to go first. I don't want to do the hard work. I don't either. But the call is to do what God is calling you to do. And maybe this is the call. Private life. Your private life. A man of character, woman of character, living among family as an example. Not impossible, but hard, hard, hard. All right, here we go. Last points. I just want to take some takeaways. Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. Here we go. As the worship team comes, here's where, here's where we're at. God did not disqualify people because of their past, because of their lack of skill. For some, they even failed in major ways because they should have been leading the way, but Nehemiah had to come to lead the way. And maybe for some that there's some shame. I don't, is there some shame in your past where you're like, there's no way God can use me because of where I've been and I should have known by now and I should have been further along? God didn't disqualify them. God used the most unlikely, unskilled, and underqualified people. Are you willing to jump in scared, jump in unqualified, trusting in his grace? God designed for his people to do his work side by side. And for some of us, we, we do the solo deal. We love being the one to I'll just do it myself, and if it's going to be done right, and just leave me alone, and I'll figure it out. And guess what? Isolation is not the name of the game on God's mission. It's together, together. Turn your name and say, we do this together. We do it together. We do it together. Not alone, not alone. We do it together. That's God's design. That's God's design. And so we have, we have a story. I, I just want us to think about one of the grandest of all sports. We, we probably should bring it, bring it back. I don't, I don't know if, is there a croquet club anywhere near South Texas? So there, there was a, a missionary uh, that, that grew up playing croquet. I don't know if he, he was like semi-pro or whatever else. He hit the mission field. God called him to the mission field to the Philippines. This was generations ago. He's teaching a, a, a group of people, right? Never heard the gospel, but they knew community in a way that he had never seen. He's teaching them croquet. And in croquet, I don't know if you understand the whole like little mallet swinging and balls going and knocking people out and it's supposed to go through little Archie deals, right? I, I don't understand any, any of that. Um, but what he discovered the first time that he was teaching this, this group of guys as he was evangelizing, he was sharing the gospel with them and they were playing and he, he had an opportunity, well, like maybe, maybe I can share a few other things. I can show them this, this game and show them how to play it properly, right? Well, one of the guys just knocked his ball way, way off course, and he's like, man, these guys are picking it up pretty quick, right? So he's thinking, I'm, I'm done. My ball's way out. Well, the guy came around, finished. The guy he was teaching won, right? And his expectation, he kind of like came, came back over, and he's like, was about to congratulate him. And kind of with his head hanging, like, this is embarrassing because I should be whooping y'all, right? And the, the leader, right, the winner, ran with him, grabbed him by the arm, ran way out to where his ball was, and started swinging, hitting his ball all the way back through the course. And when the guy led him back to the, the finish line, the whole group of guys freaked out. They're like, Hooting and hollering and jumping, they, they lifted the missionary up, and they were celebrating. He's like, 
I, I don't understand what's happening right now. Like, I lost, right? And I lost bad, and you probably should rub it in. And they're like, no, you don't understand, missionary. We won. We won. And he's like, you don't understand the game. They're like, no, we understand it well. Because everything we play, every time we compete, we do it together. And a missionary that thought he was supposed to be going to share some good news and some insights got schooled that day about what it means to actually win, what it means to work as, as a team. And so I just want us to, to end with this. We have a few questions. I want you to take this home. If you have this on the, at the end of your outline, what's next for me? What's next for me? I don't know what God's doing in your heart. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but here's just six questions to leave with you. Have I been viewing certain ministries as below my pay grade? Am I simply consumed with, with horizontal work instead of vertical work, doing God's work, just so consumed with the work of, of the world? How am I intentionally getting equipped? For some of us, we need to start asking questions. We need to start getting training. We need to start realizing I don't have it all figured out, but I'm willing to take first steps if somebody was willing to train me and teach me. How am I making myself, here's a good question, how am I making myself unavailable? Sorry, busy. Sorry, got a lot going on. Sorry, sorry. I am permanently unavailable until further notice. How hard are you working at making yourself unavailable? Where am I blame shifting, deflecting, and excuse making? And how about this? How will I take the first step, the next step maybe, of obedience as God's servant? I want you to take that home. I want you to be able to ask those questions and prayerfully listen. Listen, right? God, what do you want to say to me? What, what are you calling me to during this season? I don't want to stay stuck. I don't want to stay here. I want to move out. I want to be on mission. I want to take ownership because his mission is mine. It's mine. 